Church, we're in a series that we started last week on the book of James. Now, if you don't know, there's multiple James in the Bible, but, but this particular James, this one is the brother of Jesus. Now, we've already acknowledged how awkward that would be for James and the other siblings, because can you imagine how many times they heard about Jesus? Oh, Jesus this, oh, Jesus that. Who's the student of the month? Oh, it's Jesus, right? Who's the athlete of the week? Oh, again, it's Jesus. Who's homecoming king? Jesus. I mean, it's just never ending. I bet there was a scene, like at one point, when all the siblings are sitting down for dinner, and James is like to Mother Mary, his mom, he's like, come on, mom, just this one time, just this one time. And Mary's like, James, no, come on, mom, just give this one thing to me. And Mary's kind of like, okay, fine. Let's pray. Dear Father, please bless this food uh, to our bodies. Thank you so much for providing. We pray this in James' name. Amen. And James is like, yes, finally. You know that meal wasn't blessed, by the way. I mean, you know someone choked on a chicken bone. But regardless, James um, had a front row seat to the Son of God. He wrote about it. He didn't know what he was, gonna, was, what he was writing was going to be included in the Word of God. But God did. God was using him. And what we're learning in a series called Faith That Moves, we're learning that everybody, including you, wants to be part of a movement. Say movement. See, you want to be part of a movement. But here's what we need to realize. Every movement starts with a moment. Everyone. In 1955, Rosa Parks had no idea that she would start a movement. But the moment that she didn't give up her seat on a bus because of the color of her skin, that moment started a movement. In 1997, Reed Hastings had no idea that he was starting a movement. When when he went to um, rent a movie at Blockbuster, now kids, Blockbuster was a place that we would actually go into. Anyway, so, but you would have to rent movies, and Reed Hastings rented a movie called Apollo 13. And maybe like you and I that are a little bit older, sometimes we forget to take movies back. Well, he did. And by the time Reed got back to Blockbuster, he had $40 in late fees. And he was so, he was so just disgruntled by that. In that moment, he decided to start a company. You may have heard of it, Netflix. See, in that moment, he started a movement. And he had no idea in the moment. See, for you and I, I wrote it down, moments only turn into movements when you and I have faith that moves. It's the only way it happens. That's why this particular message, I kid you not, if you lean in, we're looking at James chapter 2 in this message. If you lean in, I promise you, this will impact you. James 2, there's, let me, let me just pull apart. And by the way, if you bring your Bible or your mobile app, this is the time to get it out. God's going to speak to you. You're going to want to underline, highlight. I mean, we'll put it on the screen, but I'm telling you, I love, we have to be armored up with the word of God with us. So bring your word with you. And, uh, but James 2, let me, let me kind of um, summarize. There's two main sections in James 2. Um, we're going to park for the majority of our time on the second section, on the second half. But let me touch on the first half. And I want you this week to read the entire chapter. Take you less than five minutes, but I want you to do that. But I'll summarize kind of the first half. The first half is really God's talking about favoritism. And God is saying, don't play favorites, right? Don't, don't have a favorite. Don't treat someone who's got all this going on. Don't treat them better because you want something from them versus the, the person who can offer you nothing. I'll give you a few verses to touch on it, and then we'll move to the main section. I'll give you verse 2 through 4. 
This is James 2, or James chapter 2, verse 2. God speaks through James. He says, for example, suppose someone comes to your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, expensive clothes, expensive jewelry, and another comes who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you know what, you can stand over there, or, or you can just sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So I'll tell you straight up, I experienced not, not the good end of favoritism, but the bad end two weeks ago when I was flying back uh, from Dallas to Omaha. And, and, and here's what happened. Our, my plane was delayed, not once but twice due to weather, finally scheduled to go later in the afternoon, um, had to catch a connecting flight to, in Chicago and then get to Omaha. So anyway, finally get on there after the weather and we sit on the uh, runway for over an hour. And I'm like, because we sat there for like 75 minutes on the runway due to, I don't know what was going on, but due to whatever was going on, I would miss my connecting flight in Chicago, which was the last flight because it was so late of the night, which I've never happened to me before. I, so I didn't know the protocol. So I get off the plane, I'm like, he's like uh, the guy said, go talk to customer service, and I find customer service, and I walk up there, up there, and there's a lady in front of me. And I listen to what she's doing, and they're being nice, and they print her out a nice voucher. It says hotel voucher on it. I'm like, oh, hotel room. That makes sense, because they'll book us on a morning flight, and blah, blah, blah. So I walk up there. I'm like, yeah, I was, I was delayed as well. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I like that voucher thing that, you know, you're talking about. And he says, well, what's your, what's your name? He looks me up. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. He said, you were delayed due to weather. And I said, yeah, I mean, that was part of it, but that last time, that 75 minutes, we were just sitting there, and he said, oh, the majority was due to weather, so we can't give you a voucher. And I said, how about I punch you in the throat? And anyway, so, uh, uh, but I, I was thinking some things that weren't very pastorally. So I said, what am I supposed to do? And he said, you could either go to the hotel, you could stay at a hotel, go pay for a hotel room, or he said, you can stay here. I said, here? I said, well, we get like a special room or something. He's like, no, you can sleep on the chairs, or like the word said, on the floor. I thought to myself, sir, you're going to be judged by Jesus for what you're doing right now. I mean, Jesus himself is listening to what you're saying. I could, on the floor at the airport, I, uh, now, Felicity, I'm not going to, like, tell you what airport it was, but, or airline, but, you know, Tyra, I'll tell you, Southwest. That's who it was, just in case you're wondering. So, no first class, not that I've ever flown first class, but, I mean, just, anyway. So, the favoritism. You, you're not supposed to show that. Read that first section in its entirety. But for today, we start in verse 14. This is the second section. I'm going to trust, you're going to, without me even telling you what the theme is, you'll catch it. Verses 14 through the end, which is verse 26. You ready? Sam, ready. ready. I got to hear you ready. Okay. God says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say, I got faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has nothing, no food, no clothing, and you say to them, goodbye, have a great day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person anything. You, do, you give them no food, you give them no clothing. What good is that? So you see, verse 17, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. James continues, now some may argue, well, well, there's some people that have faith, but others have good works. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you by my faith, by my good deeds, James says. 
You say you have faith, for you believe there's only one God. James is like, well, big deal. Good for you. Even the, even the demons believe that. And they tremble in terror. How foolish, James writes. Can't you see faith without good deeds? He says it again, is useless. Verse 21, this is the home stretch. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right by God? How? By what he did. His actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. We, we alluded to that story last week. You see, his faith and his actions, they worked together. Say together. Yes, together. His actions actually made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as scriptures say, Abraham believed in God, and God counted him righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And then he gives another example. He says, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, see, I bet you're catching the theme. Just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. It's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Word of God. I love it so much. I don't know if you caught this. There, James just unpacked for you and for me three different types of faith. I'm going I'm to show you all three, and then I'm going to really ask you to ask yourself, what category do I fall in? Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus and you don't have faith in that, I, first of all, I'm glad you're here, and thank you for being here. You won't fall into any of these categories per se, but I'm telling you, God is going to speak to you today. I promise you. But, but, but look, if you missed it, look at this. Three different types of faith. The first one, I'll set it up by, by reading James 2.17 again. James said, remember, remember this? So you see, faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Repeat after me. Say, dead, dead. Faith. faith. There's a dead faith. That's what James is talking about right here. Dead faith isn't maybe what you think it is. A person with dead faith, they know scripture. They believe in God. They just haven't surrendered to God's will. That's the big difference. They're a, they're a believer. In other words, they have head knowledge. By the way, this was me most of my life. They have head knowledge. I believe in like what you're saying, and I believe that you know Jesus is the son of God. I believe all that, but there's no heart relationship. That is a dead faith. To, to, to clarify, a dead faith is seeing somebody in need and not being compelled to do anything. You know, Jesus, if you're familiar with the Good Samaritan, the first two characters in the Good Samaritan, they, they had dead faith. I mean, if you don't know the story, I'll unpack it in 30 seconds. Jesus says a, a dude is beat up and left for dead on the road. Religious person walks by, sees him, keeps walking, doesn't miss a beat. The religious guy believed in God, knew scripture, would say that he's a good person. Did nothing. Dead faith. A second religious guy walks by, does the exact same thing. The first two guys, dead faith in the Good Samaritan. Now listen to me. I was convicted when putting this message together because I recently had an encounter where, I, honestly, I wanted to, I had compassion and I was compelled to help. I just didn't have a means to do it. 
Let me explain. Have you ever, and I bet you have, you don't even need to raise your hand because most of you have seen this, but you pull up on an intersection and there's somebody there that's maybe holding a sign, a cardboard sign, and they need help? So I, listen to me, I never carry cash. And not, not because it's some financially strategic method. Well, it kind of is, actually. I, the, the moment I have cash, it ends up in my kids' hands. So I just don't carry it. I never have cash on me, ever hardly. Well, well this day, um, I pull up, and there's a gentleman um, on an intersection holding his cardboard sign. And I, 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 honestly, when I see that, I'm always compelled. Ah, I feel so bad. What could I do? But I never have cash. So I look over at the, I look over at the guy, and I, I wave, look at him, and I wave. He starts walking over to me. I'm like, oh, no. Like, I think he thought that I was telling him to come over to, like, get some money. And I was thinking, no, no, no. I mean, I have nothing. I could give you maybe a, a Meadows pen that I stole from the church, but that's, I have nothing. And I was getting, so he keeps coming over to the car, so I roll my window down. And as he's walking, I'm scrounging. I'm like, well, I got to give something. So I don't know how many of you have a, a change area you keep in your car. So I find my change area. This is how bad it is. My little cubby over here. I grab change. I open my center console. I, I have maybe 347 pens in my center console. And I'm looking, digging through those, and I find a dollar bill. So he gets up there, and I smile. I said, hey, God bless you, sir. And, I, you know, I, he holds his hand out, and I give him that. He said thank you, but I bet he wanted to punch me. I just, I don't, I gave him like a dollar seventy something, but it's all I had. But I was compelled, I wanted to help. I was compelled to do something. I just didn't have, didn't have a lot to give in the moment. See, someone who's not compelled to do anything, you may have a dead faith. I've said this before. What you declare isn't the main thing. What you demonstrate is. Big difference. See, I can say all day long, I believe in God. I believe God is good. I believe God is powerful. I believe he is my strength. I believe he is my shield. But here's the reality. You, you and I, how we, the way we love and meet other people's needs indicate what we really believe about God. That's what really indicates it. You know what I'm saying? It, that's what does it. What we think, our faith shouldn't just change the way we think. Our faith should change the way that we live and love. That's what faith should do. That's what authentic faith should do. Dead faith. Okay, let's go to the second one. I'll set it up by reading a couple verses. James 2, 19 and 20. You say you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. Can't you see that faith without good works is dead and useless? They tremble in terror. This is a step up from dead faith. This is what we call deceptive faith. Say deceptive. Deceptive faith is more than just a belief or a head knowledge in Jesus. Deceptive faith adds emotion to it. It's intellect plus emotion. Head knowledge and emotion to back it up, but no heart relationship. You know, th this, this gets me. When James likens the faith to demons, I did a study very quickly this week about what the demons believe. It, it blew me away. I'll, I'll give you some bullet points in a second. But, but what you're about to see, most of the people in our country don't have this faith, what the demons have. Let me share. A demon believes in the existence of God. 
They've never doubted the existence of God. They take it a step farther. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. You, you won't convince them he's not. They believe in a place of eternal punishment. Okay, park there for a second. I can't remember the specific stat, but we've taught on it before, where Americans, I don't know, 80 to 90% believe in heaven, but then less than 10% believe in hell. Because we, we just want to believe that, you know, God wouldn't, I mean, it's just, there's no way. You won't convince a demon there's no hell. They know there's a place of eternal punishment. We'll keep going. A demon recognizes Jesus as the judge. They declare it out loud. Study scripture, you'll see it. A demon submits to the power of the word of God. How many of us have denied the word or acknowledged it, but then not backed it up with our action? They submit to the power of the word. It's crazy. Don't admit, the demons, uh, they, they tremble. They believe and they tremble. Where, where I got to find out. Oh, here it is. Yeah, I wrote down. A person, oh, this is crazy. A person can believe in Jesus. They can be moved by like a message like this. They, they maybe get goosebumps when they hear their favorite worship music, and they can still be lost forever. It, it's unbelievable. And that's so deceptive, because you would never convince the person that they're lost. They're convinced that other people are lost. You know, the atheists, they're lost. The agnostics, they're lost. All the people that are, you know, raping and pillaging, they're lost. But, but me, go back to the series called The Unsaved Christian. It's the most prolific series I think we've ever taught in the church. The, the one we've had the most comments about. Unbelievable how, how we can be deceived and the devil loves it. And you might be thinking right now, wait a minute, pastor, you're meddling a little bit. I mean, they're exhibiting faith. The, it's so, I, I thought we were saved by faith and faith alone. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. It, it's faith and nothing else. So, faith does bring salvation. But understand something. Your obedience is the proof that your faith is genuine. I'll say it again. Your obedience is proof that the faith isn't false. So, so no, no, no. You're not saved by doing good works. But when you're saved, you will do good works. In other words, if your salvation hasn't changed you, then your salvation hasn't saved you because Jesus Christ changes everyone that he meets. Everybody. You can't meet him authentically and not change. That's impossible. That is impossible. And that's so convicting for me because I went to church for years. I was changing, but not in the right direction. Not towards Christ, but towards the world. You can't meet him and not change. Okay, number three, the last one. And, and this is the one, the first two obviously aren't where we want to park. The third one is, I'll set it up with a scripture. It's the last scripture that we had in James chapter 2. Just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is dead without good works. See, the third faith is a faith that includes good works. We'll call it dynamic faith. It is faith that is backed up with action. It is belief that is backed up with behavior. It is not just head knowledge, but it is a heart relationship that goes with it. A person with dynamic faith, 
they've surrendered their will. It's no longer about them and their will, but now it's God's will that's being lived out through their actions. Say action. It's key. Not just lived out through action, but the right action. See, doing the right thing is a byproduct of genuine faith. Doing the right thing is a byproduct of dynamic, authentic faith. So, so let's pause in the message right now and, and really assess for maybe 30 seconds to yourself. What camp am I in? Maybe you're not in any of them. Maybe you're like, I don't even have belief in, in, in God right now or Jesus. Again, I love you. Thank you for being here. Keep leaning in. Let's watch what God does today. But maybe you realize, I believe, I believe in Jesus, but that's really where it ends. And, and, and the action doesn't look any different than maybe someone who is not a believer. Or maybe it's the next step, the deceptive faith where you believe and even you get emotional. I mean, you raise, you praise, you worship, you, you're singing the songs, you're, you're, you're getting all the feels. But at the end of the day, Monday through Saturday, it's, it's, it's I just do what I do. Live my life, take care of my family, you know, but it, my, my life doesn't look any different. Mine was dead faith. Maybe yours is deceptive. Or maybe, and this is where I want you to land, if not today, that God would drive you there today, dynamic faith. You have surrendered your will. You believe, and it's backed up by action. It's not perfect, but you truly want to do the next right thing. And it leads to the main point. See, this is my encouragement to all of us today. We, I want us to do, God wants us to do the next right thing. Even when it's not the easy thing. Heck, I'll tell you, the next right thing is rarely the easy thing. This is, this is the calling. As God calls us into deeper waters and God calls us into deeper obedience, because, he, because as we obey God and as we seek him and do the things, I'm telling you what, that's when your faith grows. In those tests, we talked about that in an earlier message. That's when you're going to grow. Not in the easy times, in the hard times. And when you do the right thing, so remember, remember how James talks about Rahab and Abraham? Do you know why they're, messed, why they're mentioned? And by the way, they are polar opposites. I mean, Abraham, if you study scripture in the Old Testament, Abraham was a, was a, a Jewish prominent man. Rahab was a Gentile, a non-Jew woman. He was a godly man. She was a sinful woman. He's called a friend of God. She's in camp with the enemies of God. What, how can we liken them together in Scripture? I'll tell you how. They both exhibited faith that saved them. They both had dynamic faith. They both chose the next right thing over the easy thing. And that's how they're both listed in the Hall of Faith, which you can read in Hebrews 11. You know, people will say, how are people saved in the Old Testament? Because we're saved by faith in Christ when we believe and call on his name, surrender to his will. But Jesus, before he came to earth, how are you saved? The same way. You exhibit faith in God. It's not just talked about. It's not just thought about. It's lived out. Rahab is in heaven. Abraham is in heaven. Because of their faith. Not what they talked about, but what they were shown. They did the next right thing, even when it wasn't the easy thing. So, it's so key. And I kind, actually, I kind of get it from Abraham. I mean, he's the father of faith. I kind of expect him to do the right thing, even like the Isaac thing. I mean, it'd be hard, but he did it. Rahab? I, you don't expect that from her, right? You don't expect 
like a hooker to do the next right thing in sin. I'll give you the scripture again that stood out to me. Rahab the prostitute is another example of dynamic faith. Faith that moves. Faith in action. She was shown. I love that. She was shown. You know what that means? You could see it. She was shown to be right with God. Not that she was heard to be right with God. Right? No, we didn't hear anything. She showed it. She was shown to be right with God by her actions. She hid messengers and sent them safely away on a different road. Now, if you don't know that story, you can find it in Joshua 2. I can sum it up in about 45 seconds. The Israelites have wandered for 40 years. They sent two spies in 40 years ago. Got, they, everybody got freaked out, couldn't do it. God said, you know what? You're, because of your lack of faith and your lack of faith that moves, you're going to wander for 40 years. And that's what happened. 40 years later, they send in two spies again. Go spy on Jericho, the first city they want to take in the promised land. The two spies go in. They're led, they're led to Rahab's house. Now, we're going to assume that they were led there. I mean, we just want to assume the best. I'm going to assume that Rahab was cooking an apple pie, and they smelled it, and they were drawn to her house, okay? Let's just say that. So, so they go to Rahab's house, and she starts to tell them intel, insider information. And she's, not, she's a Gentile. She's on the enemy team. And she tells them, everybody here's freaking, man. They're, they're worried. They're scared. You can take it. The, the, the fear will overtake them. And she gives the two spies the confidence to go back to the camp, back to Joshua and the others, and tell them, it's ours to take. This woman, Rahab, she makes great apple pie. She told us. She told us it's ours to take. Rahab, she was shown right by her ass. She risks everything and chooses the next hard thing over what's easy. See, faith, I've said this before, faith doesn't make all things easy, but it makes all things possible. What did it make possible for Rahab? It gave her a fresh start. A clean slate, a new beginning, a second chance, and somebody here, you're desperate for that. And it's available. It's here for you. She was shown right. I bet, I bet she just, her and her family, they were saved because she did the, hard, the next right thing, which was always the hard thing normally. I think there's people here in the room and people watching online you're in that hard place. You're in the desert like the Israelites were where they wandered for 40 years because of their lack of faith in action. And you're in a hard place. You're in a desert season. You know who you are. You're in this season of like wandering, wondering, worried about tomorrow. Here's what God is showing me even through the scriptures that we read today. When we're faithful today, when we exhibit faith that moves today, God will take care of tomorrow. You won't have to worry about it at all. If, if we do the next right thing today, you will be amazed at how much peace you have tomorrow. So many people, I want to see the miracle. I want, I want, to, I want to see the movement. I want, I want to see God do the, super, the supernatural in my life. I would tell them, if you want to see God do the super, you better do the natural. That's the step for us. The natural is us walking in faith when it's not easy. Choosing to do the next right thing over the next easy thing. 
That's faith that moves. And I think it's easy. I think it's easy like in a setting, especially like church, right? And I would have told you this even in dead faith. I would have told you, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. Like I'm in I'm faith that moves. I've taken action. I mean, I'm in church. I know some scripture. I open the word of God once in a while. I do my best to live it out. That's more than a lot of people. But is that really what God's seeking? Love the Lord the God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Seek first the kingdom of God. If I pull back the layers, even today, some days when I don't get it right, I'm not seeking God with all my heart. I'm seeking him when it's convenient for me, when it works for me. Like, like when people, like you ever have a friend ask you, you know, we'll help a friend out when it's like it works for our schedule or it's nothing too difficult. I've had friends that have said, hey, what you doing on Saturday? And I said, it totally depends on what you're going to say next. You know what I'm saying? Like, because if you're moving for the third time this year, I got a thing going on. You know, I can't, you know, so, but I might help when it's convenient or easy. You know, you might, maybe I'll come to church when there's nothing else going on. Maybe I'll serve on a dream team or volunteer when it works, when I get my schedule cleared up. Or this was mine. This is pointed at me for giving because that's the last thing I gave God. I'll give when I have more. I'll give when I have a good month. I'll give when there's something left at the end of the month. And I think God's like, really? You're, so when it's convenient or easy, that's when you're going to be obedient. Yes, God. Now you're cash. That's it. That was me. And honestly, look up here. Some days it still is. I wish I could be on this platform and live it out perfectly, but I don't. But I say that to encourage you that maybe you don't either. I'm guessing, but, to, but I'm telling you, it can be done. We can do the next right thing, even when it's not the easy thing. You can and I can. True dynamic faith, I wrote this down, lives differently. It lives differently. You may have heard this story, but in case you haven't, I want to share it. There was, a, in the mid-1800s, there was a, a man named Charles Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. So Charles Blondin one time did something really prolific and crazy. He, he, he put a tightrope from Canada to the U.S. over the Niagara Falls. Anybody been to the Niagara Falls? Anybody? Okay, none of me. Well, you have. Two have. You guys are spoiled. I don't know. Okay, anyway, so three have. Okay. I hear it's amazing, is it? I hear it's phenomenal, powerful, like nothing you've ever seen before. Well, Charles Blondin puts his tightrope across to connect the countries. A crowd gathers, of course they did, and he walks across it on a tightrope like this. And then he walks all the way back. He didn't stop there. Next, he blindfolds himself. Gets on the tightrope, blindfolded. Walks all the way across and all the way back. But he doesn't stop there. Next, he grabbed a camera. Now, this is the mid-1800s. It wasn't the iPhone 13 he grabbed. It was something a little larger than that. I don't know what it looked like, but it would have been large. And he grabbed it, and he walked halfway out on the rope, and he turned around, snapped a picture of the crowd, and walked back. But he wasn't done. It's kind of a show-off. Uh, then, he grabbed a tray with wine and, and glasses, like he was serving somebody. He walked across, got halfway across, Opened the wine, poured it, drank it, 
Now, I don't know if it's the wisest thing to be drinking liquor up. Anyway, but whatever. He's, he's the professional. Drank the wine, put it back down, and walked all the way back. And then he walked over to the Canada side again. Grabbed a wheelbarrow. Put it on the tightrope. And from Canada to the U.S., he took the wheelbarrow across the tightrope all the way. He got it to the U.S. side, blindfolded himself one more time, grabbed the wheelbarrow, blindfolded, and took it back to the U.S. side. By this time, the crowd is going crazy. You can imagine. I mean, it's windy, Niagara Falls, he's on a tightrope, and he's doing all these things. And he stands there to the crowd. And they're going nuts, and he says, do you believe I can do it again? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we believe, we believe. And then he said, do you believe I could do it with somebody in it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we believe. And he said, who's getting in? There was no we believe, we believe anymore. There were crickets. That's the difference. Getting in isn't the easy thing. And trusting somebody to take you over the Niagara Falls. But that's the difference. Meadows, if you're going to be a church and a person and a husband and a wife and a parent or a single person in your season right now to live your purpose and impact the world the way that God wants you to, you've got to do the hard thing. The next hard thing. You've got to walk by faith. That is the difference between faith and faith that moves. That's the difference between a person that walks around quoting scripture and a person that walks around living scripture. It's the difference between somebody that says, I believe, and someone that says, I believe enough to do. See, when you and I get to the end of our lives, you, will stand, you and I will stand face to face with God. Here's what he's not going to say. Hey, well thought out. Hey, well planned. Well intentioned. No, no, no. What he wants to say is, well done, my good and faithful servant. You expressed faith. Not just faith, but faith that moves. You got into the wheelbarrow. You expressed dynamic faith. I'm scared right now, but I'm doing it. But I'm telling you, this is where God wants you. This is where you should be. Not out there in here. Careful, careful, careful. That's not enough of that. In the wheelbarrow. So, what is it, so what's the next step? This is what I want you to do. And you won't hear me say this often, so take advantage of it. Some of you, you grab the note pages when you come in. I love when you do that. You'll forget most everything you hear. That's why you got to write some stuff down. If you have the note page, that's great. If you didn't grab one, I give you permission to get out your phone right now, open up a notes page, and we have you jot something down. So it could be on a piece of paper. It could be in your phone. Or maybe you just want to memorize it, whatever. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to get something out. Get ready. It's not going to be much. But what it is will change your life if you do it. I want you to write the main point. 
God's calling me to do the next right thing, even when it's not the easy thing. I want you to write it and just say it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. Not just on Sunday morning at a, at a church gathering, but this is your mantra for the week. I hope the month, I hope for the rest of your life. God is calling me to do the next right thing, even when it's not the easy thing. And now, the most important part. What's your next right thing? I can give you ideas. I can't tell you what it is for you. The Holy Spirit will. Some of you, even before I got the question out, you already knew it. You knew it before you came in here. You've known it for weeks. Write it down. Type it down. It might, be, it might be finally apologizing to the person that you should have apologized to a long time ago. It might be confessing that secret or sin that you know is holding you back, crushing a marriage and a family. It might be admitting something to someone that you've never admitted to anyone. It could be finally taking a step and going to see that counselor that you talk about, but you never do. Heck, it might be serving in the bride of Christ, the local church, and giving your life away for the kingdom of God. Or it might be what my next step was years ago when my pastor called me out. And he said, do you believe in the Bible? I said, yeah. And then he asked me if I was doing some certain things. In my case, it was tithing. <laughs> and I wasn't. He knew that. And he said, you don't really believe in the Bible. You believe in the parts of the Bible that you do, Monty. And that was me. So maybe it's a giving in some capacity. Maybe it's not even the medals. Maybe it's somewhere else, wherever God calls you to. I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I can guarantee you. There is a next right thing in front of you. And if you, if you just sit there and you don't know what it is, I promise you, if you contemplate and you pray with the Holy Spirit over these next few moments, he will give you something. It might be coming up to pray with the prayer team. Maybe you've never done it. It might be surrendering everything to Jesus right now. <laughs> Getting all the way in the wheelbarrow. Not just halfway in. Not just thinking about it. Not just head knowledge. Not just believing in Jesus. Because the demons do that. Not just getting emotional about Jesus. The demons do that. Surrendering everything. Jesus Christ died on a cross to take away your sins I don't have to tell you you're sinful you know that I know that about me but I'm telling you if, if we live with sin it'll kill us and we won't live our purpose and then we die and we do go to a place of eternal punishment that is a real place and not made up but Jesus comes and says I'll take it I'll take it all from you if you will allow me to do it and you exhibit faith in me that doesn't just talk about me, but backs it up. You're not earning your salvation. It's just showing that your salvation is authentic. And it's getting you away from dead faith and deceptive faith into dynamic faith in Christ that won't just change you. It won't just change your family. It'll change the world through you. Christ died motionless and dead on a cross. But his faith isn't dead faith. His faith isn't, isn't deceptive faith. His faith is dynamic faith, faith that moves. I can prove it to you because three days later, Christ moved. He got up 
off the bed, out of the tomb, out of the death, into life. I'm telling you, it's the greatest news in the world. You should sell out to it. How, pastor? Call on his name. I believe, I believe, I've always believed maybe, but today I surrender. God changed my wicked heart, my wicked thoughts. Help me. Some of you are dead on the inside. And God has brought you here to pull a Rahab on you. My next book I'm going to write is going to be called Hookers in Heaven. I love it. I love Think about her life. The least of these, you want to talk about not showing favoritism? God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a chance to be saved and have faith. And Rahab, I'll give you a chance. Equal. Equal. Show me your faithfulness, God says. And they showed it, and he says, you are righteous. Now when I look at you, I don't see that sin. I see my son. And that's what happens when you sell out to Jesus. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Some of you, you've been going to church pretty much all your life, and you've never surrendered everything. Today's your day, Rahab. I know that was me most of my life. I love praying for you. This is such a fun series. Faith that moves. Father, I thank you so much for your word and your truth. Wow. How the word goes together. I'm guilty of like taking bits and pieces of scripture and kind of just making it convenient for me. Like the parts of scripture maybe that say, hey, you're saved by faith. But as we put scripture together, we're saved by authentic faith, by genuine faith, by dynamic faith. And that faith isn't anything we declare. It's everything that we demonstrate. And it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect or that we'll always get it right. But here's the thing. We will want to get it right. When we don't get it right, it will convict us because the Holy Spirit's in us. God, people today, online, in the room, they've made a declaration on paper or, or written down or typed out. Their, their marching orders are to, to do the next right thing, even when it's not the easy thing. God, show them what that is for them. Is it something that we've talked about today or something else? What is it? See, as followers of Jesus, we are called to look radically different than the world. But do we? I'm so convicted as a pastor when I say that, God. Because I think if you look at my life, I don't know. God, I think days, I, there's so many days I get it wrong. I am convicted, though, I know that. I just want to get it wrong less today than I did yesterday. God, for the people that need to come to you and surrender everything, I pray that they'll, they'll mark the card. Marking a card doesn't save them. Praying a special prayer doesn't save them. It, it, it's dynamic faith in Christ, sold out repentance that saves them, turning a new direction by faith in Christ. But I want them to mark the card so we know and we can celebrate. Even more important than a piece of paper, God, I want them to pray with us and tell us. Pray with the prayer team, celebrate. We'll point them to next steps. We'll point them to, to life, to unity. Because it's going to get hard, and it's not going to get easier. But we're called to do the next right thing, even when it's not the easy thing. Father, I truly believe, it's, it's, it's crazy, like in the depths of my heart right now, I feel there's people in the room that are so hurt and worn out. 
And you can't tell it on the outside. They look good. They're dressed up, God. But inside, there is a death and a decay. I pray for that person right now that they know that it's okay to not be okay. God, it's okay to not be okay, but they don't have to stay that way. I pray they will pray. I pray they will let us know, let you know, cry out to the King and King of Lord of Lords and let you do what only you can do. Only you can change a life, God. Have your way in this place today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, I pray. And the church says, amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for watching today. But don't stop there. I want to invite you to like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, share this message with a friend. I mean, there are so many people out there hurting, struggling, and you have the ability to make an impact in their life. And finally, if, you're, if you live in the Omaha area, I want to encourage you, come join us on a weekend service. We would love, love to meet you. God bless you.